0: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. That's right. Bear down, Bears fans. It is time for Not Your Average Bears post game show. Bill Zimmerman with you and my co-host this week. After doing an admirable job earlier this week covering for me, is none other than at gridiron Born himself jeff burkus you know him well all over the windy city gridiron channel and he joins me now jeff how are you doing
1: i'm you know I'm, I'm doing great you know it's 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 victory thursday i'm feeling good this is the fourth time in five nights that i have been on the channel on all of these different shows talking to some of my favorite people about bears football and now we actually get a win to talk about so I mean, that's fantastic
0: absolutely and and you know it was it was a fun exhilarating game it was it was you know just fantastic football from start to finish and being that uh you know you are a bears over beers host with ej snyder and you guys bring on your favorite beverages after watching quality football like that i decided to run down and grab a beverage that would be fitting of watching that football game and I'll, i will put it <laughs> on the screen now <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's beautiful. That's A little pepto bismol, because JB. I mean, look, the result is what you know was ideal here. You know, I, I know some of us want tank wins and all that, and some of us want the Bears to win. But today, it worked out that the Bears winning was the best for both sides: those that want Bears victories and those that want draft status. So it worked out well. It was hideous. It was ugly. But hey, the win, the win came down.
1: Well, this is one of those, I don't know what it is about writing betting columns, but my overall betting score on tally site, which, you know, a bunch of us pick the games. I know you're part of this and uh, my, my Sunday's record is terrible lately. And I think it's probably because I've been traveling and I just haven't been paying as close attention to the league, but I sit down and I write specific articles for Thursday night games and I'm kind of killing it. And I thought about this game and I thought I'm definitely betting the under. And that cleared easily, right? Over under on this one, yep. I think it was 40 and I got to, you know, 29, right? That was easy money. And then I thought, okay, I think the Bears are going to win this game, but I don't think they're going to cover. And I, I think I got it at three and a half for, for the, for the Panthers. I think you had it at four, like the, it, it just, it, this was exactly the game that I thought we were going to see a lot of punts sloppiness uh, on both sides, particularly from the quarterback play, uh, because neither guy has, has proven that they can string together good drives. Uh, so it's going to be a close, ugly game and the bears are going to pull it out. Exactly what happened.
0: Yeah, no. And that, that, that's exactly it. And my, uh, you know, I I did bet this a little bit on, on DraftKings, and you know, I thought this was all right. DJ Moore, we're just going to hammer all the overs for DJ Moore. All the overs hit, but they squeaked. It was four and a half and fifty-five. He was five and fifty-eight. The under was was the was just a layup this week. But I did take the Bears to cover. I thought about teasing it down to three to at least get the push. I got it at three and a half, but but oh well. But let's let's get into this. Let's talk about it a little bit. We can start with the quarterback play, and, and and I don't think we're at a point anymore where, where we need to just break down Tyson Bage and, and the pluses and the minuses and and everything here. But because of the trade with Carolina, and of course, everything about this game that was intriguing, you know, was just for people in Carolina and mostly in Chicago because of that trade, and not just the draft position and and the pick in twenty twenty four, but. Bryce Young and the guy that in theory the Bears passed on, I mean, of course CJ Stroud could have been the selection if they decided to stay and take a quarterback, but Bryce Young was the pick there. And, and JB, this is my first observation about it and it's really bad for the Panthers. And of course if you say which quarterback has the bigger upside, of course Bryce Young has a much higher ceiling than Tyson Bajan. And and we're only a half a season into both these guys careers, but right now When you watch Bryce Young and you watch Tyson Bajan, they could have switched uniforms. They looked like the exact same quarterback. And when it's the number one pick versus a UDFA, yikes.
1: Yeah, you know that that little bit from The Office where they say, hey, corporate sent over these pictures and they want you to tell the difference between these two? And we could do that and we could just show – young and Bajan and they're the exact same thing. I mean, it looked like you could just swap them throughout the game and they, they were basically doing the exact same thing. They were dirting balls. They were air mailing balls. Like, I mean, there wasn't any consistency from either guy. Uh, I, mean, I, I mean, they both made a couple plays. Like, I mean that, and that was, that was essentially what it was, but yeah, the, the stats are shockingly similar. Uh, and, <laughs> yeah. And,
0: like, and, like, like really they're, they're almost identical 21 of 38 for Bryce young, 185 yards, no TDs, no picks, Passer rating, if we want to throw it out there, sixty eight point four, and for Bajan, twenty of thirty three, slightly better completion percentage, less yards at one sixty two, same exact yards, yards for attempt 10.9, which is awful, and a seventy three rating for Bajan. So it's look, it's way too early, and, and and you know we've we've seen plenty of analysts and fans from other teams. You know, just rain down on our parades on our quarterbacks, whether that be Mitch Trubisky, whether that be Justin Fields. About oh, they're not going to pan out. And certainly halfway through Justin Fields' rookie season, I mean, everyone said how you know terrible Fields looked overall, and he wasn't putting it together. And we as Bears fans were sitting here going, "Look at you know what's going on," and Matt Nagy's not helping him. And and we we looked at all the issues, and I guarantee you that's happening in Carolina. I mean, no DJ Shark tonight that. Adam Thielen can still catch the ball, but he just can't move. He's cooked. You know, the Panthers offensive line isn't very good. There are a lot of things working against Bryce Young right now. But, you know, when you just pull back and look at the big picture, he has a very long way to go to just kind of get to NFL average.
1: Yeah, and I think we really need to be sending thank you cards to David Tepper, uh, who stepped in and said that uh, this is my guy? I want Bryce Young. This is my team. I, I'm going to make the pick, even though his coaching staff seemed to want to favor uh, CJ Stroud. And you know, I thought it was the strangest thing that the the narrative changed moving up to the draft because everybody had Stroud locked in at number one, and then late it changed to Bryce Young. And so. You see the success of Stroud. Now, again, that may not have translated if he went to Carolina. You know, you don't have Slowick. You know, the the guy Colin uh, plays plays for the Texans. You don't have, I guess, the Texans' weapons. I, I mean, it seem, seems weird to say that, but but they do have some guys that are making plays. So it's not necessarily a one-for-one. One. I mean, he, I'm looking at the stats right now, and like you say, Thielen had 10 targets, and that was pretty much the only thing he had going for him. He, he turns around and hands the ball off to – Chuba Hubbard um you know i mean like th- th- there's there's no real talent here the the only real talent on the carolina offense uh, is playing for chicago now right like i mean the, the bears took him in return for that trade so uh i you can't write him off this early he's clearly got a lot of talent and he's got a lot of he's got a lot of runway to to be able to realize that talent but Right now, it seems like that choice of conflict, which Bears fans should know well of a general manager taking a quarterback that the coaching staff wasn't aware of or or, or wasn't in favor of, um, looks like it's going to benefit the Chicago Bears quite a bit because that first pick looks like it's in contention for number one overall next year.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And whether it be number one or number two, either way, you know, an absolute, you know, look. I have criticized Ryan Poles. There are there are plenty of things to criticize him for, but there are plenty of things that he has done well for this team as well. And I think if Ryan Poles is here two seasons, three seasons, or 10 seasons, it is going to be tough to beat what he was able to do with the number one pick in 2023 and what he was able to haul it. And of course, there are still picks to be made. The, just the fact that if the Bears do take a new quarterback, and if they're in the first or second pick, they're absolutely going to take a new quarterback and move on from Justin Fields. The fact that they traded away the number one pick only to have the Panthers pick the following year, give them a quarterback prospect, and it doesn't matter if it's Williams or May. Both these guys are going to grade out his prospects better than Bryce Young Go, right. going into the draft. So the fact that you get DJ Moore and these two second-round picks, and of course, you turn the you know the ninth pick into the tenth pick, and you get the fourth round pick. Everything that Ryan Poles has done to date with this trade that he made is if the Bears are successful, whether it's with Matt Eberflus, a new coach, a new general manager, everything. This trade is going to be the like the pivot point, the reason that the Bears were able to turn around their fortunes so you know i know when when ryan pace left everyone said oh well he gave us justin fields going out the door you know as as a parting gift and that you know obviously at this point that hasn't quite worked out like we had all hoped in 2021 but ryan Poles, whether he's here or not that trade is going to be so impactful for this team
1: yeah i mean when does that ever happen before right like i mean it's it's such a it's such a gamble you, you know you, you talk and again there's a lot of football to be played we don't know where that pick's going to end up but it's it's such a gamble in its own right to say okay we, we've got our guy we're going to build around him and we're going to get a one next year and panther fans were coming at me you know in the offseason saying oh we're you know we're making a playoff run right and you know, every fan is excited about their offseason and all that but there were at least some People that were excited about what they were doing in, in Carolina, um, and and so for polls to pick that trade uh, package, you know he would have had multiple options and at least thinking well this this might be a pretty high pick next year. He's got to be feeling pretty good about that.
0: Yeah, he, he absolutely does. And and DJ Moore, while the game was not flashy, and I really wanted a big game for DJ. I'm sure he wanted one as well. I'm sure he wanted that 100 yards, get the touchdown, you know, whatever it might be. But even with a modest game, you know, like 558, I think is what the final numbers were, still continues to show. Like the one thing I keep saying about DJ Moore you know, everyone knew about his speed. Everyone knew he had good hands. He was obviously a quality receiver. No one was arguing that. What I keep going back to that I did not realize about him as a player is his ability. Like I knew he was a yak guy, but I thought it was because of his speed. I did not realize how good he was at breaking tackles, working through defenders and just continue and we saw it, you know, Bajan gets it out on these little, you know, one yard past the line of scrimmage and, and more goes for 10, 12 yards, gets the first down. What he is able to do with the ball on his in his hands is so impressive to me.
1: Yeah. He's like a running back. And I, and I think I remember talking to our, our friend, DJ e. Snyder about one, Mr. DJ Moore coming out. And that was, that was his scouting report is like, this guy's really, he's like a running back that is a really good wide receiver. And so when he gets the ball in his hands, he knows how to, he knows how to get yards after catch. And if there was one thing that the bears were lacking last year, it was a guy that could do just that. Right. I mean, it just seemed like Maybe it was the routes that they were running, but there was very little, if any, yards after contact or yards after catch for, for the wide receivers for the bears last year. So it's a refreshing thing to see a guy that has that ability and continues to do that. But like every, I mean, Tyson Bajan is not pushing the ball down the field, right? So the fact that he, that DJ Moore had five for 58 is a reflection of how, how, how much of that was yak, I mean, it had to be 35 of the 58 yards or more, right? Like, and, and that's and that's what he does. Um, even with fields, uh, he, most of his yards have been coming after, after the catch. So he's fantastic. And he's, he is a legit number one. I was really excited when they got him. I saw him in that crazy game, like live in that crazy game against Atlanta last year. I don't know if you remember that, like crazy back and forth where you kind of like won it and then lost it. And then, you know, just this kind of insane, uh, uh, PJ
0: Walker was playing quarterback. PJ Walker game.
1: Right. And, and, and more was just kind of on fire out of his mind. And, and I've watched him, you know, a number of times over the years. And I was I think I was probably the most excited of anybody that I knew that DJ Moore was coming back in that trade because I I really like him. And it just gave the Bears something that was completely different than what they have had. And I was probably, you know, overexcited about Allen Robinson and his prospects to try to break Chicago Bears receiving records. Um, I thought he was a really talented player and then he just sort of got angry and quit and then kind of fell off a cliff. But, you know, if you're being honest with yourself, DJ Moore has a, has a set of skills that I'm not sure I can remember the last time a Bears wide receiver would have anything like it, if ever. Um, I think he's just a unique, unique player, and he's still pretty young. And so he he could absolutely set some Bears records here. Again, I don't want to get ahead of myself. This is his first year, but he's playing absolutely how I thought he could. And uh, hopefully he's he's with this team for a long time.
0: Yeah, and with Justin, I, I am going to assume at this point that we're going to see Justin Fields' next game against Detroit being, you know, we were, you know, 51% you know sure whether he was going to be playing or not. <laughs> oh, Matt everfluce But um, I, hopefully with Fields' back and obviously being able to push the ball down the field more, we're going to see DJ's numbers jump again. And uh, hopefully, you know, that, that 1,500, I don't know the exact number that Brandon Marshall has for the single-season receiving record, DJ was was above that. I know he's dipped below it, but he's not far below it, even with these Bajan games and the, you know, 40, 50 yards a game he's been having these with with So I I think that single season record is still in the in the cards for DJ Moore. And I think that would be a lot of fun if he was able to pull that out. Like it's one of those things. We're not going to have a lot to watch and have fun and look forward to here the next eight games. You know, we could sit here and say, oh, we want to see all the rookies. You got to play Roshan a bunch. Let's get Tyler Scott out there a bunch. We want to see all the rookies develop and everything. That's not going to happen as much as we want because Matt Eberflus is still going to want to win games to keep his job. So he is still going to play the veterans over the rookies a lot. And, you know, so, watching DJ more and seeing kind of what he can do is going to be fun because like I said, there's just not going to be that much because of the veterans that I'm assuming Eberflus is going to continue to lean on as much as possible, especially when the losses start piling up. And, you know, speaking of the veterans, let, let me ask you about this. Since we're talking offense, let's talk about the running game. And while it was not flashy, today. It was effective. They they ran the ball consistently, which is what they needed to do. I wanted to see them get back to the Raiders game plan. And today was a lot closer to that Raiders game plan, really trying to establish the run, try and keep Tyson in third and manageable as often as possible. And it, and, you know, it worked pretty well. Obviously, they only managed 16 points because they eventually would shoot themselves in the foot a few times. But Overall, the running game is effective, and Khalil Herbert, I'm sure, is going to be back next week, and if you want the Thunder and Lightning pairing that we thought Roshan was going to be with Herbert, right now, Deonta Foreman is the guy that has to continue to get the football.
1: Yeah, recently won the Scepter from Kyle Brandt, right? A good morning football, <laughs> like with the angry runs. And you know, Foreman's just a guy that seems to be overlooked frequently. Uh he took over after the Panthers uh traded away Christian McCaffrey to the Niners last year and stepped in and had a fantastic end of the year, right? And and is it just he's an angry runner. He's a guy that can get a full head of steam. Uh, you know, he's he's not anywhere close to the size of like Derrick Henry, but he's got a little bit of that in him, right? Where he gets a, he gets ahead of steam and he can run over some people. Yeah, absolutely. He's a Chicago running back. I mean, this is why I was so confused as to, as to everyone pushing aside Khalil Herbert, who I think is a fantastic running back and, and Foreman in favor of a rookie who we hadn't seen. Now I'm excited about Roshan Johnson. I think that he, you know, can be, can be a good player down the line, but the, the bears really did have two good running backs uh, and a good plan and until Roshan kind of fell into their lap. And so there's no need to, to push Roshan up with these veterans that are, that are present. And, and I think Khalil Herbert's probably on the track to be back, right? We, we saw that he was activated in the window. So, yep. you know, the next game or two, you know, and he's got 10 days, just like Justin to be able to get on the field next week. And so I think you'll see a return from, from Herbert here soon. And then with Foreman holding down the fort, uh, and that only makes him better if he doesn't have to run 20 times if he can kind of be that change up back. I think that that helps him as well. but I really like th- this running back room. I, I um, love coming
0: into it and it's I, I love it, better it than, than I thought year. yeah
1: and then and then if this offensive line, which was good at running the football last year, let's not forget that they were good at running the football last year uh and you see Darnell Wright, playing next to tevin jenkins like those two guys you know can move some people off the ball that's fun right like there could be some power run game that really develops an identity here and again you have to kind of keep that positive script going uh for either quarterback that helps and play action works you know off of off of a strong running game too like there's some things that you can do as an offensive coordinator with a with a good run game so I am excited to see if everything kind of comes back and you can see this original plan work because I do think that the Bears could have an identity running the football which sounds very Bears football to me.
0: Yeah, and and before we we kind of get to defense and and we're we're going to talk some special teams because there was absolutely special teams to discuss here. So we we will get into it. But, you know, got to talk a little offensive line and it's always tough to do too much offensive line unless there's some very glaring or obvious things. Uh, you know, post game before you have a chance to really go back and watch the line play. And and I thought overall what I saw from the offensive line was pretty good. You know, I I tend to, my eyes drift more to the right side of the line because it's more fun to watch over there right now. You know, I don't know. I assume when Nate Davis is back and maybe Nate Davis comes back against Detroit, you know, he's been out just, it's going to be about a month. That's usually about a high ankle sprain for an offensive lineman. Might be five, six weeks. But when Nate Davis comes back, Tevin and Darnell Wright are so good together on the right side of the line. But Nate Davis has literally played. I don't know what Nate Davis played in high school. I'd love to find out because he has played right guard since he showed up at Charlotte, his the college he went to, and basically has been there exclusively. So I assume Tev's gonna move back to the left side. And it's not like that's gonna be terrible with Braxton Jones. You know, we, we know that Braxton can move guys in the run game as well, but watching Tevin and watching Darnell together on the right side is a lot of fun and and I did see a couple mistakes from Tevin but Darnell Wright was really moving people today like it's not like he doesn't usually do that but that was the one thing that stood out to me just kind of that first glance offensive line watching it really felt like Darnell Wright had himself a game
1: I completely agree, and I, and I think you know Tevin had his hands full. I mean that that's a really good uh, player, Brown for, for, for the Panthers. Probably, well, with Burns out, he was certainly the best player on the on the Panthers defense without without question. But he's one of the better players in the league, so uh, he, you know he had his hands full, and, and that showed at, at times. But I thought overall the pass pro has been pretty good for the, for this offensive line lately. Right. And, and I think Braxton Jones had some issues in his pass pro last year, but he was very good in the, in the run game. And if, you know, I broke down a couple games for Braxton and the amount of help that they were giving him was, was actually pretty high, but not from a chip standpoint, there's a little bit of that, but it was a lot of scheme where they would roll away from Braxton. They would give him very easy assignments. He didn't have to do a lot of work, and now I think that they're putting a little bit more on everybody. They're not necessarily favor because they got a rookie on the right side, right? And then, and then they still, and they got Braxton on the left. So they can't really favor one side or the other um, in terms of giving help. And so I, I think you are seeing these guys have to stand up on their own. And I think they're doing it. And I think it's more impressive for Wright because he's a rookie, um, but it's still impressive for Jones because, you know, he was a fifth rounder last year, right? So if these guys really are the future at tackle and you know, you have, Nate Davis is a good football player, right? Like let's all the stuff that happened in the preseason. Let's not worry about that. He's a good football player. Tevin looks like he could be a killer. I mean, like <laughs> if he can, if he can stay on the field, this dude is just, this dude loves to bury people, right? Yeah, he sure does. Now you got four offensive linemen that like you think you could probably play with, right? And you just add this center that I've only been begging for for four years. And and this thing could, this can, thing could start to sing.
0: Yeah, and, and that's the thing. So assuming Justin Fields is back, and look, we know what's going to happen between when we go from Bage into Fields. Justin's going to hold on to the ball longer. He's going to look for plays down the field. And the opponents, you know, we're going to see Detroit here, you know, a couple times in the next three weeks. Aiden Hutchinson's there. Yeah, like there's there's some, some better talent that this offensive line is going to have to face. You know, yeah, Brown's a good player, but when you're playing this Carolina front without Brian Burns – it's certainly a manageable task for, for an offensive line. So we're going to see Justin Fields, who's going to need more time to throw. We're going to see some better opponents out there. And if Nate Davis is back, especially, and we have four, you know, I guess, well, all five starters, you know, Cody Whitehair, not going to be the center, you know, I assume it's going to be Lucas Patrick and I assume that the the bears will know that Cody Whitehair, it's going to be the tough conversation, Cody, you're going to have to go to the bench kind of a thing, but That offensive line, I really would like to see, you know, I know Justin holds on to the ball too long. I know it's a problem, but I, if, if he can have a little more time to throw, I really would like to see what happens with him the second half of this season. And if this offensive line can stay healthy and that's the thing, they're just start. We know how important it is for an offensive line to play together. Braxton Jones has missed time. Tevin Jenkins missed the beginning of the year. Like we haven't really seen this, you know, now Nate Davis is out. We haven't seen this offensive line really play together at all. If they can all get back on the field and play and stay on the field, they are going to continue to improve. And if you give Justin a little more time to throw, I do really wonder if this offense, especially if Luke Getzey does a few things to help Justin out and not try and run this offense, you know, next week against Detroit, the offense might be able to hum a little bit.
1: I mean, they've had seven different starting offensive line combinations in 10 games. Right. And then if Nate Davis comes back, that's going to be the eighth because you know, you're going to bounce Tevin back over and whoever you start at center, if it's white hair, if it's Patrick, that's a new starting combination. The plan coming into the year was white at center. Right. So again, like you have a lot of different, different combinations that have played together and it's hard to do that. You have to learn the guy next to you. And, you know, when you're combo blocking, right, you, you know how, long. okay, he's got that. He's got that block. I can, I can slide off and I can go to the next level. That takes time. It takes reps. And, you know, these good offensive lines across the league. Generally, they have been playing together for a long time. Like these, you know, the Eagles offensive line, right? Like they play together for a long time. They know what they're doing. They know how to pass off blocks. They communicate well. And if you're constantly flipping guys from one side to the other, or you know, get another guy's hurt and you got a backup in, you, d- you just don't have that continuity. And so um, I, I'm excited just from a pure football nerd, offensive nerd, line nerd, you know, uh, <laughs> standpoint, just to see what it looks like because yeah you know, you could kind of talk to yourself besides the white hair thing, because I think we all kind of, we all worried about that. Um, and and we really like Cody. We all like Cody, right? Like he's, he's, he's been a good football player for this team, but those injuries have really cost him um, a lot of his athleticism. And, and so other than the center position and, and Cody Whitehair at center position, I think a lot of us were pretty excited about what this line could look like coming into the year. And so it would just be nice if we could <laughs> see that plan and, and see if, if Ryan Poles uh, and what his plan was actually looks good on the field.
0: 100%. So this is not your average Bears post game show. Bill Zimmerman and Jeff Burkus, we are with you as we discuss the Bears 16 to 13 win. For those of you listening or watching live, make sure you drop comments, questions in the uh, in the sec- in the comment section. We will get to them here in a little bit, but you know, I want to take a quick break for those on the podcast side and we will be back here momentarily on Not Your Average Bears Post Game Show. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back in to Not Your Average Bears postgame show. Bill Zimmerman and Jeff Burkus with you. Jeff, let's switch over to the defensive side of the ball. I do want to get to special teams, but let's do the defensive side of the ball first. Let's talk about this defensive line because I think it's worth talking about Montez Sweat. And while Sweat didn't have some big game with tackles for a loss or you know two, three sacks, he did in an essence that he was creating pressure. And he was creating pressure regularly, which we saw when you have someone, and this was supposed to be Yannick Ngakwe's job, right? Ngakwe was supposed to be the guy that was going to start creating the pressure. That's why they signed him, and that was going to help the entire defensive line. He hasn't been able to do that this year. They bring in sweat. You know, that first game, he did have, you know, he affected one, you know, I think he had one or two pressures, affected a pass with Derek Carr. Didn't do too much, but, I mean, he'd been here for three days. You know, give him a break but he's been here for a week, you know, a week and eight days, nine days, whatever it is, gets, you know, a little comfortable, and he had regular pressures. I think five or six pressures in this game alone, like I said, didn't get home for sacks, but he was affecting plays and forcing Bryce Young to move. He moved into a couple sacks because of the pressure that Sweat created. So, if Sweat is able to do this, and again, he's going to have, you know, better offensive lines than, than Caroline and things like that. So, I'm I, you know, you, you have to keep in mind the opponent. And it's arguable that the two worst teams in the NFL play tonight. It's, you know, Caroline is definitely one of them. If you want to say Arizona's worse than the Bears, we're fine. You know, I'm not, I'm not trying to, to rain on our parade, but th- this is a bad football team. But if Montez Sweat can keep this up, he may be able to elevate some of the other guys up front here, and maybe just maybe the Bears can create a little pressure on these quarterbacks the second half of the season and have a much more functional pass defense. Hopefully,
1: I mean, they had 10 sacks coming into this game, I mean, and five of them were really, Washington, <laughs> and five of them were against Sam Howell, who you know takes, I think, five sacks a game, right? So it, it, it is kind of fascinating to see how much of an impact he had. I mean, I'm looking at the stat sheet. I don't think he recorded a tackle. Like he's not on my stat sheet. And so I, I don't think he recorded like a traditional stat, but like you said, he had at least five pressures, right? So, and this is a guy who's going to be great against the run. We know that he he can stop the run, Montez what speaking. And, and so if you add a number one, like I talked about this with, with Lester quite a bit, you, you know, you add a number one, that means that the number two, who was trying to step into a number one role doesn't have to be that dude. He he can be the complimentary piece and that provides better matchups or they're not, you know, rolling the pocket away from him, Right. Like, you know, part of Yannick and Gakwe's issues this year is that, he's the one guy that they're game planning for and and i i get it he's not winning a ton of one-on-ones either but like you can tell in their game plans that they at least acknowledge that yenni kengakwe can get them and so he's getting at least a little bit of additional attention but you put a competent person on the other side as opposed to someone like dominique robinson and and now you can't necessarily do that you're going to have to put that extra attention on sweat, or you're going to have to, you know, take your chances. And so it, everybody just kind of goes down a notch. The same thing with like DJ Moore, you add a number one wide receiver, everybody feels a little bit more comfortable down in their number two or number three role. Right. And so I, 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 love it from that perspective. I don't think Montez sweat is like some top tier, you know, defensive player of the year candidate dog or anything like that. Like that's not who he is, but he is a really good football player. And he's someone that is such a gap in, in what the bears had uh, before that trade that he absolutely will. I mean, again, bad football team, but three sacks for a team that couldn't get basically any pressure at all coming into this game um, is because I think, like you said, he had that assist for, for the green sack that the the green sack is not anything that was that impressive on green's part. He he made Bryce young step up and green kind of you know, hugged them down, down to the ground. Now he's got to be there. He's got to make the play, but if there were ever an opportunity to give an assist, a sack assist, that's exactly what you're talking about is, is causing the pressure and having a guy run into another guy.
0: Yeah. And, and you are correct. Yeah. No no tackles, no assists on, on tackles. No, nothing from, from sweat, three quarterback hits though. Got the, you know, which is again, the bears had four quarterback hits total the last two games combined. And three of them came from T.J. Edwards. So the defensive line had one, I think it was Justin Jones, had one quarterback hit the last two games. They get nine quarterback hits today. That's obviously a lot better what you need to see. And Justin Jones also had three quarterback hits and you know had the sack. His presence was felt. That was nice to see. I, I know he's not a building block. He's not going to be here next year. I would almost certainly think yep. that's the case. But it was good to see him contributing, because he's been pretty quiet this whole offseason. But let's get to the back seven here, because there's a couple things I want to get to. The the one thing that I want to ask you about is Jaquan Brisker, because he's an interesting guy. I know a lot of Bears fans are big Brisker fans, and he makes like an impact play, tackle for loss, you know, whatever it might be. He's a good blitzer. You know, he makes an impact play almost every game. But he also has a lot of mistakes there. He had a couple bad missed tackles that resulted in first downs. You know, like I said, I know, I know he, he you know, he had a tackle for loss. He, he made his impact, you know, some positive plays, but there's still a lot of negative plays, a lot of inconsistencies with Jaquan Brisker. We're, we're halfway through year two, especially a second round pick from a safety. I'm at a point like Tyreek Stevenson he's a rookie cornerback. I'm, I'm patient, you know, Kyler Gordon continued. There's, there, there's, you know, improving there that, you know, and, and playing really well. There's, there's a lot to like in the secondary, but at, at, safety, you know, we know Eddie Jackson is, you know, it seems the, the career feels like it's kind of winding down. I don't know if he's going to bounce around the league here, probably his last year, but you need more out of brisker. He, he really needs to stabilize that, that's that safety in the middle of that secondary. And, and I'm just, I, I'm not seeing enough at this point.
1: I think you said the right word there for me, which was stabilize. And it feels like Kyler Gordon has been doing this. Like he's, he's been on an upward trajectory. I mean, he had a game. I mean, Gordon, fantastic all over the place. Everywhere. Yep. Uh, you know, and, and that's fantastic to see. And he, he's an athletic freak. And so that, that's really great. And, but, you know, he he started off pretty rough. And I think they put too much on his plate. They were asking him to, you know, to, to play outside and inside. Right. And there's all this. And, and, but, I think you know he has steadily improved. He's you know he's had to fight some injuries as well, which is also unfortunate. Uh, Brisker has felt like a roller coaster, right? Like the, to me, he's he some games like oh, I, I, Brisker played really well. I great to see. Maybe he, you know he's he's going to be the guy, and then the next day is like man, he made like seven mistakes, and and so it feels very vacillating to me, and and that makes me feel uncomfortable because the safety should be it should bring some level of consistency because they're the last that they're the safety right they're they're the they're the last line of defense and so you know i'm reminded of like uh, adrian amos who famously pff loved right that he always had like the highest pff scores and, it, it, and bears fans are like well why like he doesn't really make a lot of plays and, well, you know, he's, he's he not making, screw up, but, but that's it, right? That's why he got such great scores from PFF was because he was always in the right position. He didn't screw up. He, he made the plays, And so he, he provided this level of stability, whereas Eddie Jackson, you know, maybe he missed a couple tackles here and there. Okay. Yes. He certainly missed a couple tackles here and there, but he'd make those plays. He'd, he'd get the pick six, right? He was more of the gambler. And so part of part of me is wondering, like, does is Brisker trying to be like what Eddie Jackson was and they need a more steady presence next to Brisker? Um, But I have been expecting Brisker to be the steady presence. Right. So so what is he going to be? Is he going to settle into being a a more consistent uh, contributor on this defense? Or is he going to try to make some plays? Now, he needs to make more plays if he's going to be that dude. But like, it just feels like he's he hasn't picked the lane yet. And, and then the bears don't have the right person next to them.
0: Yeah. To me. And, and I understand different, different schemes, but I just, it just felt to me like the brisker pick was that brisker was going to be the Adrian Amos to let Eddie Jackson go back to what he was doing under the fan, defense. Cause once, once that secondary kind of declined, everyone thought Eddie Jackson kind of, you know, hit the bricks and wasn't, wasn't. Playing up to par. The problem was that Eddie Jackson had to completely change his role, and as far as I could tell, the role he was playing the last few years, he was doing a pretty good job overall. But he couldn't do that role he truly excelled in, and I, I kind of thought Brisker would be able to play that Amos role, and they could unleash Jackson more into that previous role. And, and I think at this point, you know, and Eddie it has the foot issue, and it, you know, it's just I think age is catching up to him. He doesn't have that same game-breaking ability that he once did but but now we're at a point where where jackson's declining and and brisker's not you know improving enough and the safety room isn't great right now and obviously brisker's gonna be the starter here for the next few years you know he's at least gonna be the starter through his he's you know I, i can't see them trying to make a change there i think they're gonna have to make a change at the other safety spot next year but uh you know you, the, the cornerbacks the cornerbacks are great right you know with 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 Jalen and, and hopefully he remains here and, and and Stevenson again rookie inconsistent that's okay but Gordon had a huge game Greg Stroman was useful Blackwell you know was had, had was good last year we haven't seen him too much yet this year because of the injury the cornerback talent you know Ryan Poles and who's ever assessing corners is doing a good job, keeping that room steady and, and deep and, and plenty of talent need to see it at safety though. And, and kind of speaking to roster construction, I want to talk linebackers. I talked about this a little bit. I know you've talked about it a little bit on your podcast. I want to bring it up again because it's, it's frustrating to me knowing I was not a fan of the Tremaine Edmonds signing when it happened, nothing against him as a player. He's He's a good football player. I don't like spending a lot of money at linebacker. Not that Jack Sanborn had a huge game today, but he was solid. He was pretty steady, almost had that interception. You, you got to grab that, Jack. But, uh, you know, played a pretty solid game. And I sit here and go with, and TJ Edwards was great, but with Edwards and Edmonds, and knowing that this defense can still function at the same level with Jack Sanborn. I sit there and go if you had your base linebackers of Edwards, Sanborn, and Noah Sewell, who, while he doesn't get a lot of reps, you know, he, he's been playing Sam a little bit here the last couple of weeks. I haven't seen him screw up. He he seems to be doing okay out there in the few few you know snaps he's getting. That freeing up $18 million to do something else with and having basically the same productivity at linebacker is frustrating, not just for this season. But you've got multiple year contracts with Edwards and Edmonds, which means Jack Sanborn and Noah Sewell are basically going to be buried as the Sam or backups or whatever they're going to be for the length of their rookie contracts. Like this isn't changing. This is this is what they've done. These are the linebackers they have. So not only is it frustrating that you have a guy like Sanborn that just saw last season and saw, you know, this this might be something maybe we can roll with him at Mike. Now, not only have you buried him for this season as a backup or, or the Sam and base, which we know doesn't happen that at 20, 30%, whatever it is, but this is what it is moving forward. You've, you've got him stuck in the second string. You know, I, I just, I call it second string. Cause I just don't think of the Sam enough as a starter. So you get got him just buried at second string and you've got $18 million in front of him. I, I'm just frustrated with, with what they did there.
1: And it's his guy. <laughs> That's what keeps right. me. Yeah. It's he, not a pace guy brought him in. It's a polls right? guy. Yeah. It wasn't a pace guy. This was a polls guy. So like it, it doesn't, it, it's not hindsight when you question the move as it happens. Right. And you, you know, we're still trying to figure out this general manager and understand what he prioritizes and how he's doing business. And okay. Like, you know, the, the Roquan situation, it breaks down. He's clearly frustrated with him. So he ships him off. Right. And you say, okay like that's a really good football player they are playing him out of position anyway they changed the they change the defense they're trading him to a spot that he's gonna excel in and by the way he is excelling there right and so great for roquan roquan wins in that and then what can the bears do with with that extra capital right and so they they free up that money and then they just plow it right back into the same position for a lesser player well wait, that doesn't make sense. Like we questioned that at the time. It doesn't make a lot of sense. You, you knew what you had, or I would think that you knew what you had. So why didn't you feel comfortable going forward with, with Sanborn as the starter? Was it an injury issue? Was it like you just saw a ceiling and he just didn't think that he, he could, he could operate this defense. Um, but to me, like that was the perfect encapsulation of what, having a defensive head coach and someone who's scouting for those traits should give you, which is I can find talent like this and plug them in my defense and make it work. Not, I have to go out and sign the highest paid player at this position to make my defense work. And so it it is a misallocation of resources and people are going to say, Hey, they had the most cap room. They had to spend it somewhere. Like, you know, they're going to just kind of like, you know, talk it away, but eventually this stuff catches up to you right? We would do the same thing with pace. When he came in here, he made some decisions and Oh, he's got money. Who cares? Who cares that he signed Mike Glennon for all this crazy money? Like he's got the, he's got the cash. It was a smoke screen. So people didn't know that they were taking a quarterback. Right. And all those dumb decisions that pace made stacked up and then they buried him. Right. And so right now polls doesn't have a ton of those to, to bury him with, but if he keeps doing it, those are the things that you look back on and say well look at all of those decisions that he made and then he trapped himself into a corner
0: yeah and we'll 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 see how how this kind of plays out here moving forward but again that's a lot you know 25 million basically a year is a lot to have be tied up at linebacker when you're going to have to pay jalen you know you're going to have to have some free agent acquisitions on the defensive line and if you allocate too many resources on the defense and spend too much there you're in the Ryan Pace situation where you don't have anything left on the offense. And suddenly you're, you know, grabbing Jimmy Graham or or anything you can find to try and get, you know, red zone presence and stuff. So we'll see how this develops here moving forward. Cause after this, you know, this next off season, the, you know, the fun shouldn't be as prolific and they may have to make some tougher choices. So we'll see here, but you know, before, before we wrap up and and get to questions here, got to talk special teams. You know, JB and I had been talking about this go, going into this. That you know, we're going to have to talk about Trenton Gill. And and look, let me just say this before we get into this. I don't hate Trenton Gill. I just think Trenton Gill is meh. Like I, I just you know, he's he's fine. He's a punter. There are lots of punters better than him. There are punters that are worse than him. And and you know, I know you know. Look, the guillotine is a is a great nickname. Uh, you know, it's it's up there on Pro Football Reference now. Well well done. But um, I, I think. We can pretty much say that Trenton Gill today probably had the the worst game of his career.
1: He might have had the best punt of his career, and then the worst game overall, which kind of goes to show you what that was, right? Like he he had he had a, he boomed one that was fantastic. He had another one that I think better coverage might have downed it, you know, pretty pretty far down, but it just bounced into the end zone, so that's a bad punt. And then he had the shank right uh and, and then then of course the the punt return for a touchdown which we went back and forth on like i probably need to see it again uh, and you said you might have a, an analysis from an expert but um that seemed to me like a punt that should have been covered uh that what the, i don't think he outkicked his coverage there um but to me the bad one was the shank and then uh you know he he had the touchback um which i thought that's those are unacceptable touchbacks. You just want to avoid as much as possible. That's a, that's a negative punt uh, for the most part, unless you've just absolutely somehow flipped the field and rolled it all the way down. But uh, for the most part, anytime it goes into the end zone, that's a, that's a bad punt. Um, Obviously, a punt return for touchdowns bad, but I, I guess I would I would want to know your perspective on if that was Gill's fault or if that was coverage or a combination of the two.
0: Well, and, and that's the thing, like I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I am a special teams expert. And that's why, you know, I had Patrick Manley on Bears banter earlier. And, and I will say this, if you want to hear some really good special teams analysis, if you go to my Twitter feed at Bill T Zimmerman, I retweeted it right after the punt return touchdown. Uh, and put it back out there and said, here's, here's Patrick Manley. So if you want to check it out, it's just like a two-minute video clip. It's just a really good analysis. He kind of went through everything in those two minutes. And to me, like the special teams hadn't jumped off the page or hadn't, hadn't been a big negative. It had just been there, which for the most part is okay as far as – that. that's what I thought. So I asked Patrick Manley, like, how's the special teams? And he basically like, – it's terrible. And, and the first thing he started with is their punt return coverage is awful. they give up a lot of long punt returns and you know he kind of went into it there and, and I actually texted him tonight after that punt return I'm like hey you know two days ago you you had it you had it nailed and, and he was just like you know basically like yeah I'm unfortunately correct on that one but so so since I had him on, on text on that I said, well I'm doing the postgame show I'm doing it with JB. I know we're going to be talking about this. Let me get the expert's opinion. So I asked, I said, was that bad coverage or did Gil, you know, all right. So here's, I just say what I I asked him. Did Gil outkick the coverage on that punt return? Was it poor coverage or was it just missed tackles? What was the main issue? Here's Patrick Manley's response. Ha, all of the above. He was a little backed up on the 22. So they probably asked him to bang it. Still needed more loft on the kick. Right side over pursued on a left return. Left side never got to the middle of the field. He saw a hole and took it. Gunner and Scales missed bad tackles. And of course, I just responded with six. Yeah, I saw that with Scales. 65 would have never. He just laughed and gave me a thumbs up. So so there it is with Patrick Manley. Um, And and again, that's why why I like talking to Patrick because he knows this stuff so well. I I feel like he could be a special teams coordinator if if he wanted to be. So he's putting a little of it on Gill, but it feels, it does feel like he's putting more of it on the coverage. The coverage wasn't where it was supposed to be. And even the guys that were in the positions they needed to be missed tackles.
1: I, okay. So that's what I saw. I, I mean, it was a good punt. Like you said, he banged it. Um, Gill doesn't have the biggest leg in the league. I think we can, you know, we all know that, right? Like I'm, I'm not, I'm certainly not going to pretend like he does. Um, but you know, I, I for, for, the, for the punt return, I, I thought it was a little bit more coverage. I think overall, and, and I liked that you said that you don't hate him and that you think he's more meh, because part of our back and forth, my problem was that there was a little bit of like, he sucks. And I think like, well, I sort of see him more as an average, but he, you know, hopefully he can improve. Uh, and, and then the only thing that I don't know, and I, and I, you know, maybe this mixes with what Manley was saying, but you know, is he being coached to try to hit the like 10 yard line or the eight yard line, or is he being coached to try to bury it inside the five when he has that opportunity to pin a little deeper? Because I know we've gone back and forth about, you know, why isn't he getting it inside the five? Why aren't we seeing a little bit more of that? And it seems like he's so accurate at just hitting it to the eight or to the nine right like it just seems like he's really good about hitting that so is that the coaching point are they trying to aim him at the eight or the 10 or whatever it is just so that he's not getting a touchback or is he being coached like no no no, go for it you know hit it inside the five if you can and he's just missing a spot i would love to know that because it feels like more of a conservative coaching point because i think that the fact he doesn't have the leg to 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 boom us you know 70 yarder but he does seem to have an accurate leg he just may not be being asked to do that as much
0: yeah and and here here's where i am with punting and and, and i'll bring up one more thing with gill and, and i get it it's punting like it it's it's the you know field goal kicking at least is putting points on the board punting is the least interesting thing for most fans but but we're also at a point where there are so many advanced statistics about so many things and not just, you know, EPA and things like that. I'm just talking about statistics that 25 years ago, nobody talked about it and you're seeing it more and more. And there's just so much more to punning. Like if you, what, you know, went, went in the newspaper, like this is, I'm, I'm using that as a, to talk about how far back and you fought, went in 1991. And if, you, if you're old enough and listening to this podcast and you remember actual newspapers where you went to, they called it like the scorecard or the scoreboard the part of the sports scores. section <laughs> and there were all the box scores. And they sometimes put statistical leaders in there and everything. And if you saw the punting statistical leaders, it was like the number of punts, the yard average, the net average inside the 20 and touchdowns allowed. And if you go and look at the punt statistics 30 years later, nothing's changed. It's, it's what they put. And I think there are so many things that you could put in there for punting. Like what I was talking about with, with you and a couple other people about opportunities to pin. Like if you're punting at midfield, you really have a chance to put them back at the five-yard line. Did you do that? You know, you, there's a big difference of punting, you know, on the opponent's 46 versus your own 38. Yeah, it's a big difference there. Can, did you, when you had an opportunity to truly pin, did you do it when you needed to flip the field? Were you able to do it? Did you, you know, if you're punting from, you know, if you're within your own 30, did you get the opponent within their own 30? Did you flip it back over to the other side? There, there's a lot of nuance to punting that I think we, you know, and I actually talked to Brad Spielberger about this. He goes, Oh, we track everything. You know, we have all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, yeah, but you don't put it out there. You know, you, you hoard that for yourself and for the teams that, that, that you know, I'm like, put, put some of this out there, put something interesting out there about punts. So we have some way other than punter grades to really look at this thing, because that's the one thing. And it's just a hunch and, and you know, and Patrick Manley did agree with me on that. So I, I felt pretty good about it because I don't know what I'm watching with punters. I'm not a punting expert, but That when Trenton Gill, when I just I just brought this up, has an opportunity to pin, and you said, you know, maybe it's coaching, maybe they'd much rather have him at the 15, 14-yard line, 13-yard line than try and get him, you know, inside the five and pin him at the three and risk a touchback. I, I think that's worth it because as a former offensive lineman, I like remember when when you're in the huddle in your own end zone you you almost feel like you're just like, all right, let's just get a first down or two and get the hell out of here. Like you're not even thinking scoring points. And, and if you're, if you're at your own 17, even though it's an extra 12 yards, it, it's a totally different mindset. At least it was for me. So that that's my thing with Trenton Gill is I just never see that able to pin it deep. And I, and I asked Patrick Manley, is that more of a coverage thing? He goes that, that's become a skilled kick where you know you you put a certain rotation on the ball so when it hits the ground it bounces straight up. That is that's the you know coffin corner and the things that they used to do that that's not the thing anymore. That's the skill is that type of punt and it doesn't seem like that's in Gill's bag or maybe he's not being asked to do it. I'm not sure. But that that's where I always was with Gill is my big thing with punters that I look for is I want them to be able to pin an offense deep once or twice a game because that's how you impact a game to me as a, as a punter. And I just haven't seen it with Gill. So that that was my knock on him. I'm not trying to say he's the worst punter in the league. I'd say he's probably below average, you know, somewhere in the 20 to 24 range. I don't know because I don't know enough about punters. But I'm not sitting here saying we need to get him off the team. But, you know, that this is kind of my overall thought. And today, you know, with with the shank and and everything, special teams was big. And and we'll we'll wrap up after talking Gill here about Frank Reich's decision at the end of the game. Um, you know, I just want to see more out of Gill, and that's it. It's it, the Bears have fifty seven problems, and and Trenton Gill is number fifty six on there. It's it's not a big deal, but that's that's my
1: point. Well, let me, let me say that I do think it can be done statistically. And what I was trying to do last year, which I did about halfway through the year was I had a study that I had found that took, that took all the punts and it, and it graphed them of where they were at on the field, what the expected uh, net was, what the expected return yards was, what the expected, you know, just raw punting yardage was. And it gave an average and, and, and I calculated based on the zones of the field, what the expectations would be. And then I mapped his specific punts. And then I said, uh, yards under or above expectations. So it was about midway through the year and he was actually doing quite well. And so again, I'm about a year behind. I haven't gone back and done that. And the data was from a a, a couple of years ago. It's not super old, but it's, you know, it's a few years ago. Right. And now over the last couple of years, you've had this influx of Aussie punters and some of these guys that have just amazing legs that can flip the field and i think that that those numbers probably need to be updated right the 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 data set needs to be updated because you have better punting over the last few years so i think it can be done i think it can be done in a very statistically defensible way and i think it can be done where you tie it to where the drive starts and the expected points of where that drive starts. And and you can, you can go off an average and you can say, this is, you know, above expectation, below expectation. Like we can do some statistical things that are defensible and would allow us to compare apples to apples, but it takes some time. And like you said, with, with uh, PFF and our, our friend Brad Spielberger, the, the part that frustrates me with, with data is that it needs to be publicly available. I don't need black box BS Um, please like just give me information that somebody else can replicate my methods. That's what we need is we need more publicly available information. Don't keep it behind closed doors. We can do some cool stuff with it. Just open it up.
0: Yeah, I I, I'm with you. I mean, even if you don't want to have put everything out there for, for whatever the reason, because you want to have some sort of exclusivity, because I'm sure whatever they charge, professional teams and collegiate teams that that buy their analytics there's you know there's a lot more there and it's a lot more expensive than whatever someone pays for advanced stats from PFF so i get it i get the business plan but you know if you look at their their punting there's basically nothing there it's the same it's like i said it's the same thing you get in the 1992 you know sports page so uh before we get to comments i think we just the one thing that i think we have to talk about that we haven't is frank Reich's decision at the end of the game. And and I understand that Eddie Pinheiro is supposed to have a big leg, but whatever was going on there, I, I know the idea is when the field goal kicker is warming up at the beginning of the game, the special teams coordinator watches it, talks to the kicker and goes, all right, what's your max distance going this direction? And what's your max distance going that direction? There is no way that <laughs> Eddie Pinero's max was 60 yards Go in that direction. I mean, that was a 59-yard attempt. It was probably 10 yards short. Like it landed in the middle of the end zone, maybe even the front part of the end. Like it was not even close. And if you, you know, if you watch Eddie Pinero's reaction, you know, on the TV there, he just kind of sh- he looked at the sideline and shrugged, like, yeah, I, I that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> so I get it that the the Panthers had what what was it, a 15-play drive to get the 50 yards they did, whatever it was. Yeah, because like literally they cannot get chunk plays. We used to talk about it with Andy Dalton and and Mitch Trubisky and and everything about how you need explosive plays. The Panthers don't have an ability for explosive plays. they have to play like the Bears do with Dyson Bajon. And it was, yeah, I'm just looking at 15 plays, 50 yards. That's all they mustered. So I'm assuming Frank Reich looked at it and goes, There is a zero percent chance that we're going to get a first down on fourth and 10, but a, well, maybe a 1% chance that Eddie Pinero is going to, to kick the, the, the game-tying field goal. It was a terrible decision. I don't know what Frank Reich was thinking. You have to at least give your number one pick, the overall number one pick. You have to pull him aside, put your arm around him, and say, Bryce, go get us a first down.
1: I laughed. I, when they lined up at the field goal, I just started laughing like, well, this is things over. Like, I mean, it was it was an unbelievable uh, decision because we know what Eddie Pinero is. And he's a he's made himself into a a, a kicker that's going to stay on rosters for a while. Don't get me wrong. Like he's he he does He belongs. He deserves to be there. But he's not Justin Tucker. Right. I mean, there's there's only there's only a few kickers in the league that are going to make a 60 yard field goal in, in Soldier Field in the middle of the season. Right. And and Pinero's not one of them. It was insane. And so, one percent chance. But I would say that you had at least a five to ten percent chance of extending the drive, even just a pass interference penalty or, you know, throw something over the middle to Adam Thielen. Like it was, it was fourth and ten. It wasn't fourth and twenty. I mean, we, we didn't even talk about the first and yeah, third, and situation, thirty that they converted. Right? that's True. Yeah. I mean, like I no, it was uh, th- it was a gift. And and I'm not saying that they would have ended up you know tying the game or or winning the game or anything, but it was a gift. And, and again, this is the best chance for the bears to get a top two pick is for Carolina to keep making these dumb decisions and, and stacking losses. Uh, but this, this felt like something that if you didn't know better, you'd, you'd, you'd say that Frank Reich just did a favor for Chicago. I, I, I don't, I don't really have another explanation for it.
0: Yeah. And, and look, here, here's what I'll say. Matt Eberflus is not a good coach. This is no, not a, this is not a defending of Matt Eberflus, but you know, we saw and look. I don't agree with what Matt Eberfuss did in 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 the Denver game. You know, at the end of that game with with the with the decision, whether I wanted to kick the field goal, I certainly didn't want to take the ball out of Justin Fields' hands. So that was a poor choice. Ron Ron Rivera, uh, kicking the field goal. I don't remember the exact score towards the end of that game against Washington when Washington was still in it. Stupid. Josh McDaniels, multiple stupid decisions. Of course, that was that was the game. He, you don't get fired for losing to Detroit. You get fired for losing to the Bears. That's the game that got Josh McDaniels fired. Like, oh, there, There's a lot of bad coaching decisions in the NFL. So while we're stuck with Matt Eberflus and we certainly aren't happy about it, we have seen, and that has resulted in helping the Bears get wins, a lot of bad coaching decisions from other teams as well.
1: Do you think he's one and done? Do you think Reich's going to get back? I think so.
0: Because I think David Tepper's a little unhinged. I think he's going to just, you know, he, I think, I think in six or seven years, I, and I'm not saying he's Daniel Snyder. Cause that's like a whole other level, yeah. but I think we're going to talk about David Tepper, like one of these owners that you probably don't like because you just never know when he's going to do something that he shouldn't.
1: And you think Rivera's gone in Washington just for Yeah, Changer, you would think. Right? Yeah, it's, okay. not,
0: it's not. Yeah, he's gone.
1: So so the Bears have defeated three coaches that might not be here next year. One of them for sure isn't because he's already gone.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that's that's what it takes. Yeah. <laughs>
1: if you're going to get fired, the Bears might get you.
0: <laughs> we talk about the quarterbacks they beat, you know, being being bad quarterbacks. Yeah, apparently they can only beat bad coaches, too. So if you have a bad quarterback, And a bad coach. Here come the Bears, baby!
1: (laughs) Right. So I mean, so the Bears are—they don't have a chance against the Lions, uh, you know, with Dan Campbell. They they don't have a chance against uh, O'Connell, right? Uh, I know Packers fans want to want to try to bounce Matt Lafleur, but I don't think there's any chance of that. So I'm just kind of thinking of the coaches that are like potentially on the hot seat. I'm not—I'm not even sure if the Bears have another one that's on the hot seat.
0: Yeah, I I, don't—I don't don't think so either. And, And that. That was about the first time that when 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 Pinero tried it out there that Al Michaels had a little life because you could just tell he's like what 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 are they doing like he like I mean th- th- this broadcast I was gonna bring it up and I forgot Jason Kelsey was interviewed for like forty five minutes they brought him back yeah <laughs> they were talking it wasn't even they weren't even using him as an analyst for the most part they were just talking about the Eagles like it was clear. Al Michaels and Kirk Herbstreet had no interest in broadcasting that football game. And that's just talking to Jason Kelsey.
1: <laughs> I don't think that Al Michaels has a lot of interest in any Thursday night football game. Like He, he I, will I, he will next week. He's cashed he out. Like, Baltimore I mean, he, Cincy, he'll be in there. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're a little more juice there. But like, I mean, his calls have been ter- like big plays and it, he, he makes it sound like he doesn't. I don't know if he's just not seeing the field or if he's just completely checked out, but he, he is not doing the best Al Michaels, uh, job lately. Like I I like Al, you know, over the years, but this year it's, it's, it's pretty rough. Um, but yeah, a two segment interview with Jason Kelsey and talking about the, it was very clear that that team had really no interest in, in, and and why would you, but no interest in talking about bears, Panthers.
0: Yeah, (laughs) very, very true. And, uh, you know, not not a lot of questions and, you know, pl- plenty of comments. today. not not a lot of questions, but uh you know, Eric Bono wants to know if we should uh, bring in Matt Ariza for a workout here. You know, I I am not uh I'm not saying they're going to get rid of Trenton Gill here. He's got a rookie contract. Trenton Gill's going to be the punter here. It doesn't matter who's here coaching next year. Trenton Gill's going to be the punter for 4 years at least.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I the reason is the guy that had all the weird legal issues with buffalo right like that's that's yeah it's it's
0: mostly cleared up but yeah
1: yeah yeah i don't don't know i don't know what that situation is all about i know he had a big leg
0: but um but yeah i mean and here we got cloudy future do so you think the bears announce eberflus extension friday or wait till the end of the season and and here's the thing and, and obviously i know cloudy future is joking here but what i will say because of what adam johns did with his his article earlier this week saying he expects Matt Eberflus to be retained. If you are anti-Matt Eberflus, which I would think 99 of Bears fans are, although I will be shocked. I, I was genuinely shocked because I, I put some, you know, some stuff out there, so my Twitter mentions were blowing up a lot the last couple of days. There are still Eberflus supporters as Bears fans. I am surprised how many there. Are. It is, it is a very small minority. I'm not saying it's 50 50. It's probably I would have thought it'd be like ninety nine percent. It's probably about ninety percent. I would yes, say. Yes, I think that's right. Yeah. So this game to me, and, and you know, I don't think we need to get into a ton of specifics with coaching here as we wrap up. There was nothing in this game, despite a victory. They played an awful football team that was missing some of their best players, and I know Khalil Herbert, and there were some guys missing, you know, on our side as Jermaine Edmonds at our side as well. There was nothing in this game that looks that I look at and go, Matt Eberflus, you know, I understand the defense only gave up, you know, six points, whatever, you know, whatever. Yeah. Six points total. I get it. But there is nothing that Matt Eberflus did where I go, all right, he's got things going in the right direction. This was just an ugly football game that the bears happened to win because they were playing a team that is slightly worse than them. And they were at home. What did he have up his sleeve? Right. Yeah. That was like, Oh, we're going to see something fun no (laughs)
1: that's the weirdest comment I, i don't understand what the heck was happening there i look it's you know i'm done with i i didn't really understand the hire for a lot of reasons i don't i don't didn't really know him but it didn't make sense just on paper and then nothing he's done has uh swayed me to his side and quite the opposite so you know unless there's a big change around actually does something that's pretty interesting uh, down the stretch. I don't see why you, I don't see why you'd bring it back. And I don't see why the vast majority of bears fans would be anything close to excited to see this cycle continue.
0: Yeah. And we'll, we'll just wrap up here with this question comment from Chris Armstrong. We're going to riot at Greg Bragg's shout out. If floose isn't fired. Right. And and here, here's what I'm going to say. And I know George McCaskey is, is in tune to the fans because I, I, you know not that fans influence him totally in making a decision but if matt eberflus is back unless there, you know caleb williams is there and there's something that that bears fans are excited about if matt eberflus is back i think this fan base is going to be so disinterested to start the 2024 season you better get off if you bring matt eberflus back you better get off to a good start because if you start off one and three or one and four, whatever it might be, the fans will be gone. Like the season is lost. You're going to have, like, I was at the bears Titans game in 2016. It was a Sunday on Thanksgiving weekend. And I, you know, it was the Matt Barkley game where he brought them back. I think they were down like 20 points in the fourth quarter. He brought them back. They were down six points. They had the ball first and goal, and he threw a ball to a wide-open Josh Bellamy, who shockingly dropped the football. Bears <laughs> lose. I was there. There could In the second half of that game, there couldn't have been 15,000 people in the It felt like a preseason game. Those type of things have a lasting memory for George McCaskey. I just wonder if this team goes 5-12 and 12 this year, if George McCaskey, even if Kevin Warren and, and Ryan Poles want to keep Matt Eberfloos, and I know we have no idea what Kevin Warren thinks about this situation, but I just wonder if George is going to be like, the, the, this we can't do this. I think it's possible that that would happen because he is in tune to having those type of reactions. That's my biggest concern about Matt Eberflus is if he's back, one, I would have no faith in the people above him anymore because they made the decision to retain him. But I, we, we, we joke about it and talk about it. We joke about it, but we're serious when we talk about it's gonna to be tough to cover this team for the second half of the season when there's just not much going on. We expect Justin Fields to be replaced. So watching that development, while that's what I still look forward to it, a lot less important than, than that has been. There's not a lot, you know, there's just not much here to to watch. I would feel that way in on September first of twenty twenty four if Matt Eberflus was still the coach.
1: I'm having a hard time. I've talked about it a couple different ways uh, this week, but you know the the Johns is connected, right? Like, I mean that he's he's as connected as anybody there is, and he's willing to put that out there. And he's saying it's his prediction, but it's based on conversations he's had. It's based on yeah. it's based no, on some house all, all the time, reporting. Sure. And so you know that that's as good of a guess as anybody has right now, and. And I, and I was, maybe he thinks it's 70, 30, maybe thinks it's 55, to 45, whatever, who cares? But like, he's willing to come out and say that he, it, it's at least more than 50% than he believes is going to come back. And just from a personal standpoint, like I, I, I think, I feel like I've seen this movie before. I still feel like I've seen it a couple of times. And and if you let a, a lame duck coach pick another quarterback and, and then you're just going to fire him the next year anyway, uh, and then have to try to find somebody to come in and work with a new court. Like I've seen this movie. I don't want to do it again, and and I, I just think that there are other pursuits that I would rather spend my time on.
0: Yeah, and that's the thing they have. They will have an opportunity to line everything up the right way, which they never do. And if they just skip that opportunity, it's it, it's it is going to be tough. There, there's no doubt about it. That's the. It's just you're going to feel just like a lost opportunity before the season even starts. So, all right. We're going to wrap up, of course, Windy City Gridiron, you know, uh, the Windy City Gridiron podcast channel. are going to have all the podcasts rolling out this week and next week. You'll have Second City Gridiron, of course, all, all the live shows and the, and the video interviews that I do for Bears Banter. You have them all there. I, I believe Taylor Dahl has a Making Monsters set to come out tomorrow. I, I'm not 100% certain, but I believe that's the case. I know she was talking about it earlier this week, so you should be looking forward to that. I assume JB, you got the full slate next week, right? With with your two podcasts, absolutely. And I'll be back with Bears Banter next week. My guest next week is Patrick Maher. You may not have heard of him. He's a host on DraftKings and Beeson. He's a friend of mine. He is a huge Detroit Lions fan. I he he loves Ben Johnson. He is so. Where we just talked about Matt Eberflus. That is going to be a you know we'll talk about everything with him. That's going to be a big Ben Johnson interview. We're going to talk about his offensive scheme, what he does. And I will say this. He told me, and this guy is a football junkie, college pro. He watches more football than anyone I know. He says, Ben Johnson calls. We were talk about how we never have good play callers. Ben Johnson calls the best game he's ever seen.
1: That's sold. So uh, That's <laughs> it. That,
0: that is my guest next week. So make sure you check that out. So again, Windy City Gridiron and Second City Gridiron for all your podcasts. Make sure you're subscribing. Thanks so much for those of you who have been listening live, for those of you who checked out the podcast on the Windy City Gridiron channel. Thank you very much. JB, thanks for hanging out with me. I know we went kind of long there, but had a lot of fun with you. And, you know, again, it was ugly. It was tough to watch at times, but it was the result that everybody wanted. A Bears win and a positive for the number one pick or number two pick next year.
1: Absolutely. Thanks, Bill. Appreciate the time.
0: All right. Thanks, everybody. Bear
1: down. We'll talk to you soon. Adios. More to do's, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this. High-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters.